Hey, my name is Colton. I'm one of the serving leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope that you can lean in and enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everybody. Hello, hello. Thank you, Jordan, for that wonderful introduction. Um, so like Jordan said, we have the honor and privilege of continuing on in our series, the Our Seven Healthy Habits of an Ethos Family. So I want to take the next few minutes with you all and just share about what it means, what it looks like to follow through consistently. And my hope is, um, over these next few minutes, is to just practically answer for you all why we need to be people of our word and how to remain people of our word. So let me share a little story with you. So do you guys remember when you were younger and your cousin shaved her eyebrow and then you had to swear that you would never tell anyone? Or when your brother broke the porcelain camel and you had to promise that you didn't see anything? Or when you told your best friend when you were little that you would meet her in the, uh, in the playground during recess to support her while she told a boy that she liked him? Okay, it might not have been you, but those are things that happened for me when I was little. But do you remember when you you made a promise to someone and you swore on everything, remember what you would say? You would say, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Do you guys remember that? And as adults, like what I'm saying that now as an adult, I'm like, that's probably the most morbid thing that we could have said as children and no one ever corrected us. At least my mom didn't correct me. Um, But that when we said that, that meant that I am keeping my word through thick or thin, no matter what, I'm going to follow through. I promise you, I will do what I said I was going to do, no fail, I promise. And it was so easy saying you would do something as a kid and following through, but here's the reality, we had so much less to lose as children, and yet we were like putting our eyeballs and our hearts on the line to follow through. You know, but why is it easier to stay so credible as a kid? And what happened as we began navigating life as adults in adulthood that we all of a sudden stopped caring about our credibility? When did we deem it that it was okay to be lukewarm in our words and our actions and our trustworthiness and our credibility? So I want, like, let's be honest with ourselves for a second, right? I'm sure we can all in this room agree to one of these things that maybe we were asked to help a friend move and we said yes, thinking in the back of our heads, ah. I don't really want to do that. Or maybe we said, yep, we'll go grab coffee. And then you remember that I have 13 other things that day and now I have to figure out a way to get out of this without offending them. And I probably shouldn't have said yes, but I said yes anyways. And what am I going to do? Or parents, I don't have children, but I've heard y'all say this to your kids when they want to play with you. And you're like, yeah, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Go play. Hoping that they'd forget in 10 minutes. And so you can continue doing on what you're doing. Like I've seen and heard my friends who are parents do that. I'm like, you are lying right now. Like, come on, be better. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we've all done it. We're, we're guilty of I know I've been guilty of that in the past. and something that I've become conscious of that I'm trying to be better about. So, but why are we okay? We should be... We shouldn't be okay with hurting our credibility. Our goal should not be to widen our credibility gap. Our goal should be to bridge that gap, to bring our trustworthiness to the center and be people of honor and be people of integrity. So my hope over the next couple minutes here is just to share with you how do we bridge that gap? How do we become people of our word? Why should we be people of our word? So I want to share with you, we must be people of our word, a few points here, because number one, it displays our integrity. What does it mean to be a person of integrity? It means you are living in and displaying your deepest values, what you have about your innermost 
in your core, what you believe to your core, you're putting that on full display and you're living that out loud. It means you are an honest with everyone, with everything. It means that you do the right thing no matter the circumstance. That's a person of integrity. And we must be people of word because it displays that integrity. And when someone sees that true integrity, they're gonna be drawn to you, right? They're like, that's a person who lives their deepest convictions, their deepest values. I wanna be next to that person. I wanna live life next to them and walk with them. Number two, it allows us to live like family. What do we say here at Ethos all the time? And if you don't know this, you can pick this up. We say that living life as a family is our priority. It's our priority. It's our number one. That means we're building our lives together. We're building lives together, coming alongside each other, building each other up, living hand in hand, arm in arm, that my motives and your motives are never questioned. There's no pause in asking. So if I'm asking you for help with something, and I know that when I'm asking you, because we're family, that your yes means yes, that I'm never gonna question it. I'm not gonna say, oh, I hope they show up. I'm gonna trust you unsuspiciously, because we've talked about that last week, right? I'm gonna trust you unsuspiciously. I know that your yes meant yes, and you're gonna show up because you're family. We're living life hand in hand. And the same thing, when you ask, I'm, when I say yes, and when I hear your yes, I'm gonna trust that. I know you're gonna follow through with that because we're family. Number three, because God is a promise keeper. We are true and perfect and pure reflections and representations of God, right? So by being a representation and a reflection of who he is, we all know that God keeps his word. He's faithful to his promises. That means in turn, as a reflection of him, that we are also meant to keep our promises and keep our words, right? The moment we don't keep our word to others is the very moment it compromises our witness. Hear this for a second. How can we ever, how can we ever, ever, ever expect someone to trust God and his faithfulness and his glory and all that he is and how good he is? How can we ever expect someone to trust God if they first can't even trust the human representation of Christ on earth that's standing right in front of them? That should be challenging enough for you that we, because God is a promise keeper, so am I. Psalm 145, 13, it says, the Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. We keep our word. We are people who are because God is a promise keeper and we are true reflections and representations of him. All right, so I said why we should be, why we should be people of our word. I've answered that for you. So now you're like, okay, Andrew, well then how do I, how do, I do this? How do I become a person? How do I stay being a person of my word? Well, I'll be happy to answer that for you. Number one, check your motives. What are your intentions? Ask yourself, is this for them or is it for me? Am I doing this because I'm gonna get something out of it because it's gonna make me look good and I'm gonna get all these types of accolades for being of service to someone? Or am I doing this because this is gonna help this individual? It's gonna truly put them in a better position and a better spot in life and it's gonna help them be in abundance. What are my intentions with that? Because here's the reality, if your motives are not pure, and that you want this to be for other people, then you're completely missing the mark of why we're following through and why we're serving and why we're loving others and why we're living in family with each other. Number two, you have to realistically evaluate your capacity. I don't want you guys to hear today that I'm just telling you to say yes all the time. That's not the reality. Don't, it's not, I'm just not saying say yes, say yes, say yes. No. Here's the thing. I want you to ask yourself, am I being realistic? With what's being asked of me, is it realistic? And can I truly follow through on it? 
Because how many times I'm guilty of this, I've agreed to something knowing in the back of my mind, I'm like, I have three other things that day and I'm gonna be spread pretty thin and I'm not gonna be able to give 100% of myself. There's no value in that. The value is lost. When we take on too much, you not only hurt yourself, you hurt your chances of staying credible with others and following, following through. Because now that you're at max capacity, there's a good chance now you're gonna have to drop the ball on something else or miss the mark with someone else and you're not gonna be able to follow through. So just take inventory of yourself, check your capacity. I was talking with a friend yesterday when we were serving, my friend Sam, and he had made a comment to me that he had told me that his wife Corinne and him were talking and they said how they appreciated and they admired that I so easily say no. And I'm like, well, I appreciate that because it's something I've been working on because I know I want my no to be understood like it's because I don't want to give you less than 100%. So if I can't give you my all, that's okay right now, but I want you to still know that you can come ask me. So I want you guys to understand and hear today that you can say a healthy no, and that's okay too. Because your honest and healthy no today, that means that you can follow up and have an, an honest and healthy yes tomorrow, the next time they ask you. That's what that means. You know, Matthew 5, 37, it says, make your yes a yes and your no a no. Simple as that. It's right there, black and white. So just realistically evaluate your capacity. And the last thing is we stay people of our word, and this is just simple as can be, by keeping our word. Yeah. You keep your word. Even when it hurts, when it's a hindrance, when it's inconvenient, when it might not be fun, it might not be what you expected it to be, but the moment you said yes, you keep your word. Psalm 15, it says, who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts, those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. We say people of our word because we keep our word. Even when it hurts, it says, God, who can enter in your presence on your holy hill? Those who are speaking the truth from sincere hearts and keep their promises even when it hurts. So ethos, I just wanna encourage you this morning. Let's be people of integrity. Let's be people of our word. Let's follow through when we say we're gonna do it, but also let's, let's be realistic. Let's evaluate where we're at in life and it's okay to stay healthy, no, but be honest with yourselves and with one another. So back in 2015, I was driving a 2003 purple, I mean maroon, Dodge Grand Caravan, right there, come on. Affectionately known as the Vinny Van, come on somebody. Isn't that awesome? Well, I was driving north on South Old State and all of a sudden my car started to slow down and if you know me well, I started to get a little nervous and anxious. There was a line behind me starting to form, but so I gave it some more gas, but no matter what I did, how much gas I gave it, my car continued to slow down. So I pulled over to the side of the road and I called my buddy who is the closest thing that I know, have as a friend to a mechanic. So he drove over, grabbed my car and drove it five miles an hour to the mechanics. So what had happened is that the transmission of the beloved Vinivan had just completely given out. 
And what I learned later on is that the role of the transmission of a car is to ensure that the engine, the gears, and the wheels are in proper alignment so that it can accelerate and decelerate at the proper pace and at the right times. And similar, serving generously plays a like role, right? It, serving generously allows us to go further faster so that we can love all people and more people in Jesus's name, while also it allows us to decelerate slow enough and long enough so that we can actually come face to face with someone and make a difference in their life. And while serving generously guides our pace, it also impacts the health and the strength of our community and our relationships in these four following ways. The first is that serving generously, it becomes our greatest form of leadership. This is why here at Ethos that we say that servant leadership is our identity. And simply, we are leaders who serve and servants who lead. And this is a model that Jesus lived out. He said it himself. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Going to the cross for each and every one of us. Servant leadership isn't about utilizing our position, our power, our authority for our own benefit, but rather the benefit of others. And yet we often become intimidated by this idea of servant leadership, thinking that it has to be this big and grand thing that we've got to start a nonprofit, begin a social justice movement, or supply the needs for many, many people that we don't even know or know how we're going to come in contact with. When in reality, what serving generously is, it's simply adding value to people's life, to one person's life, every single day. It's finding practical ways to show up in somebody's life and to love them like Jesus with a word of encouragement by providing a meal for them, um, taking time to have a meaningful conversation to hear their heart and what is going on in life, helping a friend move in or just even simply bringing a smile to someone's face by, by using humor and laughter. Serving generously also involves a sacrificial spirit. And I think this is so countercultural for us today. In our fast-paced hustle lifestyle, we're moving a million miles a minute and jumping constantly from one thing to the next, as well as where our lives, our social media feeds are just full of advertisement, advertisements and messages telling us that we deserve it all. Have it your way. Only the best of the best is good enough for you. You need to have what you want when you want it. And ultimately what this leads us to is to have a scarcity mindset rather than a sacrificial spirit. And here's how I define this. Uh, having a, a scarcity mindset, it's saying, I don't believe, I don't trust that God is gonna provide for me. Whereas having a sacrificial spirit, it's having the confidence and assurance that God's going to provide enough for you and enough for you to serve others generously. I think this scarcity mindset is what actually led us in early 2020 to run out of toilet paper. Come on. <laughs> like, really? 
We, you know, people weren't going to the bathroom more. Manufacturers weren't having problems with production yet. But we were afraid that if we ran out, if I didn't have something, then I would be ruined. And it leads us to worry, to anxiety, to fears. And where we worry the most, ethos, it reveals where we trust God the least and where a scarcity mindset exists in our own life. And yet Jesus knew that we would have to wrestle with this tension of worry and of a scarcity mindset, which is why in Matthew 6, we see him sharing with his disciples in the crowd of people to say, who of you can add anything to your life by worrying, by having a scarcity mindset? Okay, stop, 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 stop. Look at the birds in the air. Look at the flowers in the field. There's not a single bird that's hungry and there's not a single flower that's without the resources it needs to be healthy and to grow. What God is trying to communicate to us, what Jesus was sharing was that I've got your back and he wants to provide for you and show up for you actually through the generous service in general and giving of other people around you. We oftentimes overlook the practical ways that God is showing up in our lives through our friends, through our families, through a coworker, for, through a boss who is providing for you every day. And when God has so generously sacrificed for us, how can we not do the exact same for our brothers and sisters? Because here's the thing, Ethos, you and I are literally God's plan A for meeting the needs of our world. And when we have a sacrificial spirit, we take initiative. We don't hesitate to do something, to act, to give, to say something until we have all the right answers. We're constantly looking for a need and finding ways that we can meet it. And maybe most importantly, we stop and ask ourselves and ask God, God, what have you given me today that you want me to share with another to enhance their quality of life? Serving generously also gives people hope. I was out of this conference years ago and this pastor was sharing this story. Their church is in this uh, very cold climate. It's, it's just wildly cold. And it was in the middle of winter time and their church has this care center. And he describes this interaction with this single mom who is leaving their care center with her arms full of groceries and her arms full of her three children. And they stop to have this interaction in this conversation. And she shares with the pastor saying, I was starting to give up hope. I wasn't sure how I was going to provide for myself and how I was going to provide for my family. And I'll never forget what he said at this conference, this pastor. He said, you never know, or excuse me. He said, you never know if your vision or your generous service is the only thing that's gonna give someone hope. Serving generously gives people hope that they're seen and that they're cared for. It gives people hope that they have value and worth. It gives them hope that their today and their tomorrow can be better than their yesterday. But sometimes we stop serving, we stop being generous because we don't see that instant return on investment. And so we wanna let off the gas. And ethos, my encouragement is just stay consistent. 
A couple years ago, my, my dad had given me this little sprout of a tree and the little tree actually came from this bigger plant, this bigger tree that the roots of it, which kind of plant analogies, I guess, whatever. But it actually, my grandfather brought it over in a suitcase from Italy and this tree just kept growing and reproducing so that there were more and more little sprouts. And so my dad had given me one a couple summers ago and I took it home and I was taking so much pride in it, right? This feels like this family tradition, right? And I'm watering it, it's getting the right sunlight. I'm taking pictures, sending it to my parents like, wow, look how much it's thriving. I know it's so nerdy, but just stay with me. And then all of a sudden the leaves started to turn yellow and then brown, and they fell on the ground. And in my mind, I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I'm doing everything right. And my dad said, Vin, 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 hold just stay consistent. Just keep watering it. Give it the right nutrients through fertilizer. Get it in the right sunlight, the right temperature, the right climate, and it will grow. Galatians 6, 9 says this, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Ethos, even when it doesn't look like you're making an impact, serve generously. When you're thanked and you even experience opposition, serve generously. When it's inconvenient for your schedule, serve generously. When it costs you something, because serving generously and sacrificially, it's going to cost us something, serve generously. Because it will produce fruit. It will produce fruit in other people's lives as well as our own. A nonprofit organization uh, that focuses on mental health and awareness did a study that said for those who serve, it actually produces within the person who's serving reduced levels of stress, lower levels of depression, increased mental health and stability, as well as a strengthened sense of purpose. Lastly, serving generously paints a picture of who Jesus really is. And if we're going to show people who Jesus really is, we've got to serve the way that Jesus served. Going the extra mile for people, even when we're not asked. When we serve, we don't brag about our generosity, but rather we celebrate what God has done through it. We're going to meet people where they are, whatever their status, opinions, political belief, occupation. We're going to get into the mud of life with people. We're going to be willing to get our hands dirty. We're going to bring what we got, our gifts, our talents, skill sets, resources, experience, intellect. We're going to do it with joy and consider it a privilege. And we're going to serve our enemies. I mean, talk about something that's so countercultural. That's the Jesus way because it's serving our enemies that actually changes them and transforms them into a friend, into a brother, into a sister. Serving generously. The goal of it is not to change people though. Our ultimate goal in serving generously is simply just to point them to the one who can change their lives. Matthew 5, 16, it says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Come on, serving generously the Jesus way, it's attractive for people who know Jesus. It encourages them and it inspires them. And for people who are not yet a part of the family, who don't know the Lord, they can't help but to be curious and wonder what makes this group of people, this group of Jesus followers different. 
and it's serving generously and they're gonna want to come and be a part of it. As I wrap it up, I'm gonna leave you with a quote from one of my absolute favorite people and heroes, Fred Rogers from The Neighborhood. He said this, he said, when I was a boy, I would see scary things in the news. My mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. Ethos, what if when there's uncertainty, when there's devastation, when there's tragedy, what if all of central Ohio, what if the world, they would see us standing in the gap to serve generously. And I believe if we do, if we were the hands and feet of Jesus, we would see our country and our world change in Jesus's name. Well, good morning, Ethos. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Delaney, and I have, my family is here. Oh my gosh, sorry, that's, that took me by major surprise. Hi, good morning. Um, <laughs> so I have the honor of speaking about the healthy habit of conversations of accountability. Super lighthearted topic. Um, no, but seriously so important, and I don't even think I realized just how vital this healthy habit truly is until the past few years of my life. I had a friend that I met in high school that was extremely important to me, and honestly, I considered him like family. It was one of those friendships that I thought, this person will be in my life forever. And now we're at a point where we don't even talk. And so as I've kind of been grieving this friendship and reflecting on why I think it ended or what part that I played in it, I started to realize that we never had any disagreements. Like, we never really had any tough conversations. We never fought. It was kind of like if something is rotting from the inside out. Like, on the outside, we had a great time together. We never had any issues. But the reality was, I know that I experienced hurt and I experienced offense. And so, internally, I was establishing roots of bitterness and unforgiveness and anger in my own heart because I was drenched in insecurity and had a fear of rejection. So I never want to initiate the conversations that needed to happen. Do you hear what I'm saying? So because of that, this friendship has ended and I just wonder if perhaps it could have been different if I would have had the courage to have necessary conversations of accountability. So at the beginning of this year, we went through a series as a church called Emotionally Healthy Church, and we talked about this cycle of community. And the cycle has four different stages. You have excitement, disillusionment, adjustment, and then eventually growth. And what this means is that when you meet that new friend, when you start going to a new church, when you start a new job, when you get married for the first time, you have all this excitement. You just can't believe that you get to be a part of this. You're all in. You're posting it all over your social media, like completely and super excited about it. And because all of those things involve human beings, what ends up happening is that you eventually get hurt or offended along the way. Because we're, in, we're imperfect. Humans are imperfect. And so this is kind of inevitable. It's going to happen. And so it's kind of like Wizard of Oz being revealed behind a curtain. Something that we thought was so grand and amazing, we start to question, is that really what that was? was that, am I scammed right now? Like, did I get catfish? Like, what happened here? This is not, this is not what I thought that it was. And so um, typically when we become disillusioned, we're tempted to just tap out, to leave that church, to leave that relationship, to leave that job, to find a new school. And so we go back to square one. We don't even reach the adjustment phase, and we definitely don't reach growth. So then we start something new again, and we become really excited about that until that also disappoints us. And it was just this, this cycle over and over and over again. 
This is why we so desperately need conversations of accountability, yeah. is because we are not in sync 100% of the time. Can I get someone to testify that even though we're all Christians, we do not always agree? <laughs> we are not always on the same page. <laughs> it's natural for us to want to drift when we're hurt and when we're offended, and conversations of accountability, they help pull us back to the center to live life as a family and ultimately reflect the heart of Jesus. So what does this look like? Well, first of all, conversations of accountability, they're rooted in relationship. So you need to ask yourself before you initiate one, do I even have authority to speak into this person's life right now? That's why you respond completely differently if a stranger were to come up to me and suggest something that they think I should change versus a friend, a trusted friend that's doing life with me that I know loves and cares for me, approaches me and says, hey Delaney, I've noticed this. Let's talk about this, let's lean into this. Another thing about conversations of accountability is that they require a heart posture of restoration and not condemnation. And what I mean by this is, again, there's a huge difference between having a conversation, but really you're just trying to confront somebody so that you can prove that you're right or so that you can take them down a notch versus wanting to have a conversation with somebody because you care about them and you want to see something that is currently broken be restored. You want to see somebody grow and you want to grow in your process as well. A classic example of this I see all the time on my Twitter page, um, a bunch of people that are tweeting claiming that they want to hold the church accountable, the big capital C church, and so they'll be tweeting all these things, and it's really just, it's condemnation, like that's their tone. Sometimes they're even gloating about leaders that have fallen, and I'm just not interested in that. I'm not interested in, in, in reading that, I'm not interested in being around people that have that attitude, because the church is, is Jesus' bride, the church is Jesus' plan A, so why don't we, accountability is needed, but why don't we approach it with a spirit of restoration? Why don't we say, hey, let's point out the real issues that we're seeing right now in the church. Let's point out those blind spots so that we can work together and pose solutions to make it better. Does that make sense? Okay. Accountability it involves truth spoken with grace. So the fruit of conversations of accountability, they're not condemnation and guilt and shame. The fruits of conversation of accountability should be restoration and growth and healing. Conversations of accountability also involve having the humility to apologize quickly. Apologizing quickly is another one of our, our seven healthy habits, and, and we need this, again, because we're human. We make mistakes, and as much as we wish that we didn't do this, we're probably going to hurt people. We're going to offend someone. We're going to say a silly comment. We're going to post something on social media that somebody completely misconstrues, and we're going to hurt them. And our response to that should be an apology. If someone were to come up to me and say, oh, Delaney, you've done this to hurt me, my response should not be, oh, well, you're you misconstrued that. Like, that was not my intention. Let me explain to you why you're wrong for feeling that. If someone says that they're hurt, they're hurt. That's a fact. So our response should be a humble, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Please know that I love you. Please know that I'm for you. Let's talk through this so that we can continue to walk in relationship with one another. Jensen talked about this last week. We need to assume the best about people. We need to trust unsuspiciously, and so that involves apologizing quickly. So I'm gonna close here with two quick points that emphasize why conversations of accountability matter. And the first one is that they sharpen and they strengthen us. Proverbs 27:17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. There's tension in sharpening. It's uncomfortable. It does not feel good to be held accountable or have to initiate a conversation of accountability, but it's so necessary. 
about three years into um, being a part of Ethos was really the first time that I got offended. I got hurt by somebody. And honestly, the fact that it took three years is pretty incredible. Um, that's a long time to, to go without experiencing this. And so um, I just remember I was extremely emotional about the situation. I wasn't really thinking rationally, to be honest. And I was on the phone with my mom and, and sitting in my room. And I just remember being like, okay. This is it, like, I guess I'll just search for new churches. Like, I'm out. Like, I just, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. I, I was feeling disillusioned and I wanted to give up. And I just remember the Holy Spirit convicting me. And convicting just means, like, he was just nudging me and correcting me and kind of suggesting perhaps another perspective of looking at things. And aren't you so grateful that our God is active and alive and convicts our hearts? I, I need correction pretty frequently. But, um, so the Holy Spirit was con convicting me and I felt like the next thought in my mind was like, hey, you have a decision right now. You're at a crossroad. You can either choose to lean into the patterns of your past, and you can leave right now like you've done in the past and other relationships and things, or you can help me mature you as a follower of Jesus. You can grow through this, and you can lean into having conversations of accountability. And I'm so grateful for that direction because when I chose to do that, um, things changed. Those relationships are incredibly healthy now. And also, not only the Holy Spirit convicting me, but I had incredible leaders and friends that were around me that lived out this value so well that honestly, it probably would have been hard for me not <laughs> to eventually engage in these conversations. And and I'm just so grateful for that. It's it, Conversations of accountability, it's, it's hard in the moment. It may sting in the moment, but it will strengthen you in the long run. I wanted to throw up like the entire time during those conversations. Like it was, it was not fun, but I'm so grateful for it. And I left, I left with a sense of growth and, and maturity. I love this quote from Jerry Bridges. He's an author. He wrote a book called The Pursuit of Holiness. He talks about how conversations of accountability strengthen and sharpen us. And he says, only the truly faithful friend cares enough about you or me to undertake the often thankless task of pointing out where we are wrong. None of us enjoys being confronted with our faults or sins or mistakes, so we often make it difficult for our friends to do so. And as a result, most of us are more concerned about speaking agreeableness to each other than about speaking the truth. This is not loyalty. Loyalty speaks the truth in faithfulness, but it also speaks it in love. Loyalty says, I care enough about you that I will not allow you to continue unchecked in your wrong action or sinful attitude that will ultimately be harmful for you. So conversations of accountability, they sharpen and they strengthen us, but they also help us as a community steward unity well. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus in this room, you have a responsibility to live united with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus actually says in his word that the world will know that I love them because of the way that my sons and daughters will live united. I want the church to be known more for what we're for than what we're against. I want us to be known as a people that are united and not divided because that is the heart of our God. Ephesians 4, 2 through 4 says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love, with every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. It's so much easier to just to cast out and cancel someone, to put on Facebook, well, if you don't believe with me, then just unfriend me. We're not going to be doing life together. It's easy to do that. It's easy to feel disillusioned and discouraged. But the reality is that culture calls us to cop out and to cancel people, but Jesus calls us to stay committed to family. These are the seven habits of a healthy family. They're called habits because habits require continual practice. Conversations of accountability, they take practice, they take time. 
But just imagine what God could do through Ethos, through all the churches in Central Ohio, through the church at large. If his sons and daughters, if we would just make a pre-decision before we even get hurt or offended, that we are going to stay committed to one another, even during the messy and uncomfortable parts of relationships, because we know that God is first committed to us and we are committed to God. I wonder what he could do through ethos if we didn't just ignore or try to hide any brokenness or unholiness, but instead had the courage to, to point it out in love and be active participants in rebuilding something that may need to be restored. And for me personally, I just wonder what God could do in me and through me if I had the humility to receive correction from the Holy Spirit and from my friends around me that I know love me and want the best for me.